Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. We'll read verses 17 through 34. The account of the Lord's Supper that the Apostle Paul received directly from Jesus Christ and which he here writes by divine inspiration. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For, first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies, factions, schisms among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, everyone partaketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry for one another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that ye come not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come." Amen. Beloved, we are currently considering 
sealing and seals. Last week, and most of you were here, we had a preparatory sermon based especially on Ephesians 1 verse 13, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And we noticed that in Scripture, and also for that matter outside Scripture, a seal is used as a mark of authority or authenticity. A seal is used as a witness or testimony and for security. And these purposes of seals are united in the idea of belonging or ownership, and more precisely, in the assurance or certitude of ownership or belonging. And now this morning, at the Lord's Supper, we're turning to the Lord's Supper as a seal. Last week, the Holy Spirit as a seal. Now, at the Lord's Supper, this second Christian sacrament also, and in a slightly different sense, a seal. And I want, at the very start of this sermon, I want you to follow this chain of reasoning very carefully so that you can see that what I'm engaged in in this sermon is not leisure de main, that's theological sleight of hand and trickery, but what I'm laying out here is solid biblical and reformed deduction. I begin with Romans 4, verse 11, a very important text in the doctrine of the sacraments used very often for this purpose, especially at the Reformation and since. Romans 4, verse 11 says this about Father Abraham, quote, he received the sign of circumcision, a seal, there's our word, a seal of the righteousness of faith. And now, step one here is that the Old Testament initiatory sacrament, the sacrament that signified and sealed entrance into God's covenant, the beginning of salvation, the Old Testament initiatory sacrament, namely circumcision, is here expressly called a seal. That's step one. Step two is simply the deduction that if the Old Testament initiatory sacrament is a seal, then the New Testament initiatory sacrament, namely baptism, is also a seal because circumcision is replaced as the initiatory sacrament in the New Testament by baptism. Now, since the New Testament is a greater revelation of God than the Old Testament, the New Testament sacraments, and here especially the New Testament initiatory sacrament of baptism, can hardly be less than the Old Testament sacrament of initiation circumcision. So, if circumcision is a seal, and the Bible says it in Romans 4 verse 11, then baptism is also a seal. That's simple and clear. 
And now we go a bit further. The other New Testament sacrament, namely the Lord's Supper, is surely also a seal. You can't have the first New Testament sacrament, baptism, as a seal without the second New Testament sacrament, the Lord's Supper, also being a seal. If you did, then the first New Testament sacrament, baptism, would be higher or greater than the second New Testament sacrament, the Lord's Supper. So, circumcision is a seal, therefore baptism is a seal, therefore the Lord's Supper is a seal. And this line of reasoning is reformed and explicitly confessional. I want to prove that to you from our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 25, Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which deals with the two New Testament sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, enumerated in question and answer 68. Here's question and answer 66. What are the sacraments? Answer. The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals appointed of God for this end, that by the use thereof he may the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel, namely, that he grants us freely the remission of sin and life eternal for the sake of that one sacrifice of Christ accomplished on the cross. The word seal as a noun and as a verb is used in this answer twice. And it's used as the very definition of a New Testament sacrament. Both baptism and Lord's Supper are seals that seal to us our salvation. Question answer 65 tells us that the Holy Ghost works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and confirms it by the use of the sacraments, confirms it. And question answer 67 tells us that the Holy Ghost teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments. The sacraments confirm and assure us of our salvation and so acts as seals where God impresses the truth of our salvation upon our hearts, stamps the certainty of it in us. This is also the teaching of our Belgic Confession in Article 33 of the Sacraments. Here is its very first sentence. We believe, say Reformed Christians, we believe that our gracious God, on account of our weakness and infirmities, hath ordained the sacraments for us, thereby to seal unto us his promises, and to be pledges of his goodwill and grace towards us, and also to nourish and strengthen our faith 
which he hath joined to the word of the gospel, the better to present to our senses both that which he signifies by, to us by his word, and that which he works inwardly in our hearts, thereby, here's the idea of seals in the sacraments, thereby assuring and confirming in us the salvation which he imparts to us. The same doctrine of the sacraments in the Heidelberg Catechism and here in the Belgic Confession of Sacraments as Seals. The second sentence begins, For they, the two Christian sacraments, are visible signs and seals of an inward and invisible thing. Again, the word seals. The Westminster Confession also has a treatment of the sacraments. It begins, Sacraments are holy signs and seals of the covenant of grace immediately instituted by God to represent Christ and his benefits and to confirm our interest in him. That's what the sacraments are, seals. They're designed to confirm the truth of God generally and specifically to me as an individual. That's the definition in the Westminster Confession, just as it is the definition of a sacrament in our Heidelberg Catechism. Seals to confirm our belonging to the covenant of grace. And the first proof text assigned to establish from the Bible this treatment of the sacraments, and especially now we're thinking Lord's Supper, as seals designed to assure us that we belong to Jesus, the first proof text is Romans 4, verse 11, as it invariably is in all of the Reformed creeds and in all of the Reformed authors in the 16th century and since. Abraham received the sign of circumcision a seal of the righteousness of faith. That's circumcision, it's a seal. That's baptism, it's a seal to assure us. And that's the Lord's Supper, a seal to give us certitude that we are Christ's and he is ours. That was quite lengthy. That was confessional. That was a little bit harder, but that's okay. Let's relate these two key points then. We've said that the seal is the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday night's preparatory sermon. The third person of the blessed Trinity sent by Jesus. He's invisible. You can't see, touch, taste, or smell him. He's a seal. Now we're saying that the sacrament, specifically here, the Lord's Supper, it's a seal too. This seal is visible. How then is the seal, that which assures us, how is it both the Holy Spirit and the Lord's Supper? Last week we said that the Holy Spirit is a personal divine seal who assures us through the word of the gospel. He also assures us through not only the word, but the sacrament, 
And here the second sacrament, which is an adjunct to the gospel. So the Holy Spirit stamps on our hearts the truth of the word and our personal salvation by using the preaching and the Lord's Supper so that each true believer knows personally and leaves the building leader convinced evermore of their own deliverance in the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism explicitly says. The Holy Ghost works faith in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel, answer 65, and confirms it or seals it or assures us of it by the use of the sacraments. And you will all be convinced of the great practical value that this is for us at the Lord's Supper. So it not only does this sacrament honor Jesus Christ, the one who gave his life for us, not only does it therefore also bring glory to the blessed Trinity, and not only is it a means of grace to us, to build us up in our most holy faith. But that last point involves this truth, that the Lord's Supper is a seal to us that I personally am delivered from my sin so that I'm more and more assured of my salvation. And that's necessary because of myself, I'm very weak, and doubts, they seem to spring up all over the place and come from nowhere. And we're, I'm not even sure today that I'm, I'm in Jesus. These things can cripple us. And we need, and when we're thinking straightly, thinking straight, we grasp this, we need this stamp or seal as a witness to us and as a comfort. And Jesus Christ, the head of the church, says, I already know this. I know you're struggling. You always do especially at certain times. I know all about your weakness. I'm your head and Savior. And I was a step ahead of you. And on the very night before my cross, I gave to the disciples and the whole New Testament church this sacrament to comfort and assure you, church, and you, believer, of my hearty love and salvation of you. So we consider with all that established, we consider the Lord's Supper a seal. First, looking at Christ's gifts, and secondly, our activities. The Lord's Supper, a seal. That's what it is. Christ's gifts and our activities. And that takes us to 1 Corinthians 11. This is my body, Jesus said which is broken for you, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24. Notice what is not broken. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken. He did not say that his bones would be broken. Psalm 34, verse 20 says, not one of them 
referring to bones, not one of them is broken. The psalmist has in mind, and the church understands this, the Passover lamb. Exodus 12 and Numbers 9 are explicit on this point. When you're preparing the lamb, you must kill the lamb. The blood must be shed, but you don't break a single bone. And this is John 19, the narration of the cross. When the Roman soldiers came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs because there was no need to speed up his death. Verse 36 adds, For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled, quote, A bone of him shall not be broken. And so Jesus, at the Last Supper, says, This is my body, which is broken for you. He didn't say bones. The breaking of Jesus' body involved his being lashed cruelly with a whip, the thrusting upon him of the crown of thorns, and we can be assured that the soldiers did it none too gently, his being kneeled through his hands and his feet, his being pierced with a spear, and all the rest of his terrible agonies, because that body of Jesus was broken by unholy men who were angry with him and who despised him as a criminal. And it was broken especially by the holy God in his wrath too against him, Jesus, for our sins. Sins which were imputed to him and which were born and suffered for by him in the Roman stead of all of his elect church. The various aspects that are involved in the breaking of Christ's body are found especially in three places in the Old Testament. Psalms 22 and 69 as well as Isaiah 53, and four places in the New Testament, the crucifixion accounts near the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The calling to the Christian church is believe. Believe the cross of your Savior. Believe that it really did occur historically, 2,000 years before us here and now. And believe also that that cross, once and for all offered for all of the church, is brought to you during your life, orally, by the preaching, so that Paul can say in Galatians 3 verse 1 that Christ was publicly set forth in the church, crucified among you through the proclamation of the Word, that is brought to you orally in the preaching, and that the cross of Jesus is brought to you visibly in the Lord's Supper. 
And here's the idea of the seal in this connection. The preaching is a message consisting of words. And so in that sense, like any other form of human monologue, it comes to the ear. You hear the message of the cross. But in the Lord's Supper, and we're thinking here of the first element, physically there's bread. You see bread, especially the bread of the Lord's Supper right now and in this sacrament. You see it, you feel it, you smell it, if you put it up close and it smells like bread, and ultimately you taste it. And this bread, this first element of the second sacrament, God has given it to us as a seal. A seal attached to a document, or here a seal attached to the preaching that attests the authenticity of this salvation, that it's genuine and it really and truly is for you. There's authority with it that God has a legal right and you have a legal right to receive it as a seal. That it witnesses to you personally that Christ's death in the land of Israel all those hundreds of years ago benefits me because I belong to him. And I have security over against sin and hell and death in Jesus Christ's satisfaction. And the one word that sums up all of that is assurance. The assurance not only that this is salvation, that this came from God, but the assurance specifically that this salvation is mine. That Jesus' body was broken for me personally. And at that first Lord's Supper, and at every Lord's Supper since, Jesus says to the church, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. So at the wine of the Lord's Supper is a sign or a symbol of Jesus' blood. A red liquid that is poured out for you. And more than that, the wine of the Lord's Supper is not only a sign or a symbol, but additional to that, it is a seal. And then this witness, this wine, it has a message additional to the first element. The message of this seal is this wine symbolizing Christ's blood, was shed for the remission of your sins, every last one of them, including the ones that we never get round to confessing because there's so many. Personally, individually, really and truly, the wine says the blood of Jesus Christ washes them all away. 
And this is what the Holy Spirit, by means of this second Christian sacrament, this is what the Holy Spirit seals on your heart. This is what He assures every true believing child of God of. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. And what Jesus is saying here has a context. When his disciples, who'd been with him for three years, and before that were faithful Jews anyway, the disciples got that. And the whole church, understandingly, gets this too. This is what it's about. Some 600 years B.C., Jeremiah, in chapter 31 of his prophecy, wrote about the new covenant and its blessings. And Jesus is saying in the Lord's Supper, he's answering this question, here I am in Washington State 2,600 years later, and what has Jeremiah 31 in the new covenant got to do with me? I mean, that's a long time ago and a long ways away. And in that upper room in Jerusalem at that Passover two millennia ago, Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, and he's saying, this is a new covenant sacrament. And you say, I want to be clear how this helps me. And here it is. At the Lord's Supper, soon to be administered, the minister pours out the wine, echoing the biblical words, this cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood. Then the elders pass out the cups. And this is what is happening. And this is what we must understand and grasp at this sacrament. Almighty God puts the seal of the new covenant in your own hands. Yes, I know it's just, just wines physically, if you take it from the merely outward, without the word. There's a cup, maybe it's plastic or something. But faith says, informed by the word, God has put the seal of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and here in 1 Corinthians 11. The seal of the new covenant is in my hands. Just as Jesus Christ put that seal of the new covenant into the hands of the disciples in that upper room, so Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father, in the church and through office bearers, there are agents here, but through them, Jesus Christ puts the seal of the new covenant. He gives that to you in this church building this morning. And the Holy Spirit uses that seal to assure you, I am in the new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah wrote about in what was probably one of his favorite parts in his inspired writings too. I'm in that new covenant that Jeremiah wrote about. God is my God. I am his child. There's one everlasting covenant of grace. Noah was in it. Abraham, Moses, David, and me too. 
the new covenant. Because I, though doubtless not as faithful and godly as those men, I'm a friend, servant of Jehovah as well. And this truth about the Lord's Supper as a seal is another testimony or witness against the sacramental errors. I say this just in passing, but it's a point worth making. You're familiar with those views of the Lord's Supper, which teach and thereby also deceive the people into thinking that Jesus Christ is physically present at the Lord's Supper. The reality of Christ's body means that bodily, He can only be present in one place at one time, just like you, bodily, and He's in heaven. Roman Catholicism says in its heresy of transubstantiation that the substance, the underlying reality of the bread and wine is the divinity and the body and the blood and the limbs and the heart and the liver of Jesus. Lutheranism, with its consubstantiation, has Christ somehow or other physically present in, under, and along with the elements. But the idea, and it's a biblical and reformed idea too, the idea of the seal militates against that and actually disproves both of those views. Because the seal is not literally and physically the thing sealed. For instance, sometimes it's a signet ring with a special design. Sometimes that's called the seal. Sometimes the seal refers to the wax or the lead that is impressed with the signia. But whether it is the insignia ring or the physical wax upon which it's placed or whatever, whatever the seal is, the seal is not the person himself or the corporation itself that is sealed, but the seal is always the testimony, the witness, the assurance of genuineness, the indication of belonging or ownership. So a seal can never physically be the thing itself or the person itself. So the biblical idea of the sacraments as seals rules out a physical presence of Christ in the sacrament. That, by the way, that's a little aside, but important enough to justify its inclusion. Let's move now to our activities. The child of God at the Lord's Supper engages in the activities of eating and drinking. There is a physical process involving chewing, digesting, assimilating that we do in our bodies. This is expressive for the true believer acting out of faith. This is expressive of spiritual eating and drinking of Christ and His benefits, which is by believing, receiving the truth of the Word. And it's through this spiritual activity that the Spirit seals the truth in our hearts. This is what the Spirit says to us when we partake rightly. Jesus Christ is in me, and I am in Him. 
He belongs to me. I belong to him. He is giving me strength because Jesus is my bread of life. And this is the idea of the seal in our Lord's Supper. Belgic Confession, Article 35, says, Christ, that he might represent unto us this spiritual and heavenly bread, hath instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of his body, and wine as a sacrament of his blood. Now listen to this part especially. To testify, that's sea language, to testify by them unto us that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat and drink the same with our mouths, by which our life is afterwards nourished, we also do as certainly by faith, which is the hand and mouth of our soul, receive the true body and blood of Christ, our only Savior, in our souls for the support of our spiritual life. And the key part is, as certainly as I have the bread and wine in my hand, and as certainly as I eat and drink them physically, so certainly, this is the assurance, assurance, certainty, so certainly has Jesus Christ really and truly shed his blood for the forgiveness of my sins. The whole is about assurance. And the child of God also engages in this spiritual activity of remembering at the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians 11 lays great emphasis upon this. Verse 24, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And again, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. So at the Lord's Supper, we remember the events of the cross and the reason for it all. This is a remembering, of course, by faith. And we remember that our Savior's substitutionary sufferings are for us, and for me. We eat and drink physically and spiritually and remember. And through this remembering, the Spirit seals the truth of the cross on our souls and assures us and me that he offered it for my salvation. And here's another activity at the Lord's Supper, mentioned in verse 26. As often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show or proclaim the Lord's death till he come. We're showing forth at the Lord's Supper, we're proclaiming the return of Jesus Christ on the clouds of heaven at the end of the age. So there's remembering at the Lord's Supper, referring to the past, Christ's first coming and crucifixion, 
And we are also showing forth, that deals with the future, Christ's second and glorious coming. And this points up the fact that the Holy Spirit is not only a seal, but the Holy Spirit is also an earnest. And an earnest is a down payment, say 10%, is a down payment on a car or a house or a new boat or something. And the down payment is a guarantee that the whole lot is going to be paid later. Well, the Holy Spirit is an earnest or a down payment, even at the Lord's Supper, that Christ's second coming is for my salvation. So he is a seal, and the Lord's Supper is a seal of the, regarding the past and Christ's first coming. But the Holy Spirit and the Lord's Supper is also an earnest with regard to the future and Christ's second coming. And the Bible, remarkably, when it speaks about the Holy Spirit as a seal, also speaks of him as an earnest or a down payment of future greater blessedness for us. Here's Ephesians 1 verse 13 again. Ephesians 1 verse 13 concludes, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, who is the earnest or down payment of our inheritance in the new creation until the redemption of the purchased possession, our bodies, at the resurrection of the dead on the last day at Christ's return. Ephesians 1 verse 13, Holy Spirit is a seal and an earnest of future blessedness. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 22 makes the same point. God hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In the future, Christ is coming again, and it's for my salvation. That's what's happening. The Spirit uses the sacrament as a seal and an earnest, and that the salvation Christ purchased was for me, and the salvation which Christ is going to perfect at His second coming, that's for me. That's what the Holy Spirit says, and that's what the Holy Spirit says through the Lord's Supper. And let's boil it all down with one concluding question. How does this help me? Spell it out to me. Remind me of the main point. Well, it helps us now as we come to the supper. Jesus gave himself for me. I eat and drink and feast in him by faith to be fed and comforted. And it helps me later after we all go home and maybe we have a rotten week and when we doubt, and we doubt not only, you know, is the Bible true? The world seems so confident with all its evolutionism and stuff. Well, that, that too, it helps us with regard to that. But it also helps me to know that this is for me when I'm troubled. In that Lord's Supper, the gospel was preached. The gospel was sealed. I had the seals last Sunday in my own hands. Then these seals went inside me, the bread and the wine. I ate and drank Christ. 
the Spirit dwells in me and assures me from deep down inside me in the very heart of me that I'm a child of God too, and I'm never going to despair or give up. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, help us now in thy holy presence, and as we read the form and partake of Jesus Christ, bless the word and sacrament to us, and help us, Lord God, to grow and grow deeper in our assurance. In Jesus' name, amen.